This is Brian Billick. I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Here we go. Interesting to say the least, Denny. We're at that point in the season where now every single game has such import. You're trying to project over the next three games of who's real, who's not. Let's look at the AFC a little bit. We know that the Houston Texans, the New England Patriots, and the Denver Broncos have each clinched a playoff spot. The seating is still open, so that's going to make it interesting. But this is where it gets crazy now. Baltimore sitting there with the fourth spot at 9-4, and four, but having lost the last two games, and even within their own division, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are making a run. Yeah, they really are. And I think that, you know, we know that there's some concern in, in Baltimore because they fired the offensive coordinator, Cam Cameron. And they are still 9-4, and four, though, which is a very impressive record. But as we've said many times, it depends when you won the ninth game. It depends on when you lost the fourth game. And they've won the ninth game a while ago. They were 9-2 and two at one time, a very impressive record. And all of a sudden now they find themselves 9-4. and four. And I think also later we'll talk about the Texans, you know, playing New England for that home court, when you when the home field, when you've got the Patriots, which is very difficult to win at, you know. So if you go there, it's going to be tough. And then you got Mile How Broncos very tough to, to win at. I think Houston's going to do everything they can tonight to try to get themselves in position to have that home field advantage. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Cam Cameron firing in a minute in a little bit more detail. Clearly, it shows Baltimore, as you said, that started out at 9-2, sitting at 9-4 and four now, with some big games coming up. They've got Peyton Manning coming in at home, all but at home in Baltimore, against the Denver Broncos. They then have the New York Giants, who are in their own dogfight in a division where uh, very well 9-7 and seven may win it, and there may not be a second participant right. uh, in the playoffs from, from the NFC East. Uh, and then Baltimore finishes up with Cincinnati. So, uh, yeah, a lot at stake right now. Obviously, Baltimore's in the driver's seat. They're sitting there with Indianapolis that appears to, at 9-4, and four, have nailed down that fifth seed. Now, certainly any number of things could happen. They, uh, Indianapolis uh, is, is going to uh, play Houston this weekend. They then have Kansas City. Then they play Houston again. For Indianapolis, part of it has to do with where is Houston are they putting all their cards on the table at the end of the season, or have they already established their, their position in their seating? So they pull guys out. But sitting here with nine and four, I got to believe that 10 wins in the AFC pretty much guarantees you're going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I do. I think so. And except for that, that last wild card spot, I mean, I still think that last wild card, you know, is either the Steelers, you know, who probably can get to be nine and seven, I, I think. Uh, Cincinnati, who you know, if if Pittsburgh's nine and seven, Cincinnati's probably not going to be nine and seven. They might be eight and eight. But I still say the sleeper with the easiest schedule are the Jets, who are six and seven. Remember one time, nineteen ninety three, that was aeons ago. We were six and seven. Uh, you know, had to beat Green Bay in good old fashioned Milwaukee County Stadium. We beat them. Then had to play a very good Kansas City team, which was I think twelve and two at the time beat Kansas City to go 8-7, and seven, and then had to go play a Friday game, which was on four days or three, four days rest, go to Washington, D.C., travel in there, beat them on up 9-7, and seven, and made the playoffs. So I, I look at the Jets, and I just think they are the sleeper team simply because I think they'll win their last three games and get to 9-7. and seven. 
Well, Danny, you, you, you can't. you got to tell me. I love parody, but you got to tell me we're a better league than that. Um, the, the, the New York Jets I've seen the last two weeks are going to go to the playoffs. I just think it's going to be hard for Cincinnati and Pittsburgh for both of them to be 9-7. and seven. I think one of them's going to be 9-7. and seven. I think the other's going to slip. <laughs> yeah, uh, to say the least. Well, in the NFC, it, it obviously extends a little bit further. Atlanta, all day, looked very poor against Carolina, sitting there at 11-2. San Francisco, strong. Green Bay with a strong win against Detroit. New York with a pretty good win against New Orleans. But still, when you look at the rest of that division uh, with Washington and Dallas, both with big wins, uh, literally breathing down their neck. Seattle with a solid win. And then Chicago, who looked very poor against Minnesota, could be fading. So the, 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 the list certainly goes deeper. And you can't eliminate Minnesota at 7-6. The list goes a lot deeper in the NFC than it does in the AFC. Well, it really does. I mean, I think that Seattle can make a push on the 49ers. I don't think they'll make it. I think the 49ers will win that division. Seattle will get that wild card. They've got, you know, a couple home games, and they're going to get there. The Bears, you know, the only thing the Bears have gone from right now is a schedule. They're they're going they're eight and five. They're going to take another hit, you know, Green Bay at home. I'm not sure if they can beat Green Bay at home. So now I think Lovey's going to be challenged on how he can rally the troops because if they lose another one, everybody says the sky is falling, and to a certain extent it is, except that then they have Arizona, who's doing very poorly right now, but it's on the road, and then they've got Detroit on the road. So they can they can beat these two teams if they can psychologically survive after losing one more game to a good team. And and if they don't, that opens the door then for Dallas, who's playing very well right now. I mean, playing not great, but playing well. The Redskins, who, you know, with RG3 being injured, Cousins went in, did a great job for them, but I don't think they can be a playoff team without RG3. Uh, the Vikings, who are running the ball better than anybody, and right now that, that makes a huge difference. And and then the Rams who have, who are very very sneaky, you know. When that what does that tie mean? I don't know. All I know is they have six losses, but uh, but and a tie, which is better than seven. You know what I mean? So seven losses. So I I think it's going to be interesting in the NFC, and a lot of it I think will be the psyche of of the Bears, and then you know the Vikings, which are you know playing at St. Louis, who's you know as we said only has six losses. Then they have to play at Houston. Then they've got Green Bay. So the Vikings have a very tough schedule. Chicago, a very easy schedule. Yeah, because likely uh, Houston and Green Bay, as well as they may be playing, may be still playing for some seeding. So I don't know that either one of those two would uh, lay down, so to speak, in the last two games because Denver's breathing down Houston's neck. And obviously Green Bay wants to continue their you know, San Francisco's got that other part of that tie you talked about, and that's where that tie can help you right. or it can hurt you. So Green Bay uh, may, may still be playing for something then. So I don't know that you can look at the end of the schedule on any of these teams and say, well, that team may not be playing for anything, so that could give us an advantage. So right. it clearly goes deeper, that's for sure. Green Bay last night, there's an example of what playing at Green Bay in December and January can look like. You do not want Green Bay to have home field advantage uh, with semi-snow, almost rain, and very cold. And that's what it was last night in their ball game against the Saints. Um, let's we, we, we broached it earlier in the, in the uh, podcast, and let's let's talk about it now. Uh, kind of a very unique uh set of circumstances more where a nine and four Baltimore team who has come off two very disappointing losses to Pittsburgh and Washington 
has fired its offensive coordinator, Cam Cameron, after five seasons. They make Jim Caldwell the quarterback coach, a former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. They make him the offensive coordinator. Um, and, and let's talk about that a little bit. I obviously live in the Baltimore area. Cam Cameron's been under fire, like all offensive guys are. Uh, a little deja vu for me, and then coming after Cam Cameron about his play calling and this, that, and the other. Um, a lot of things leading up to this. I don't think Cam Cameron and Joe Flacco have the closest of relationships. They let go of Jim Zorn a couple years ago, who Flacco really enjoyed having as his quarterback coach. I don't think Jim and Cam got along real well. Uh, they brought in Jim Caldwell, who Flacco and Caldwell get along real well, kind of like the backup quarterback. You right. know, you always <laughs> That's all well and good to have, but sometimes it puts the – the coordinator in a tough spot. And I think there was a bit of a groundswell from the players, both offensively and defensively, with regards to uh, the dissatisfaction with the way the offense was playing. Now, should that have been pointed at Flacco a little bit more? Probably. But as we know, it's a lot easier to uh, to make that change at the coordinator spot than it is to fire your quarterback. Well, it, it really is. And, and I think that, you know, there are a lot of things in play now. I mean, part of it is is not – that different and it is i mean it's late in the season that's what's different changing coordinators when things aren't going well that's not that different but i i do think though and i, I always kid about it but it's true i mean when when you've got an offense that you've got to run and you got to calls and you got to be responsible it's hard for that coordinator to be all lovey-dovey with the quarterback himself and that's when the quarterback coaches really came into play probably about 15 years ago it's like hey if this guy needs somebody to hold his hand let me hire somebody to do that. I've got too much going on to worry about hurting his feelings every time I make a call that he doesn't like or every time he does something he shouldn't do. Because remember, at one time, that was a head coach's job. That's why they hired coordinators. You know what I mean? So that the head coach wouldn't have to always be getting into it with the quarterback. And then it was the coordinator not getting in with the quarterback. And so that's where these quarterback coaches have come from. You know, five years, that's a long time. We know that, that Cam is very committed to what he wants to do. He's going to do it the way he wants to do it. He called plays from the first game to the last game back in 2007 when he was a head coach at Miami. It didn't matter that they were 1-15. and 15. He called it the last play. He called the very first play the last play. Very determined to do things the way he wants to do it. And that is great as long as things are going well. You know what I mean? But when things aren't going so well, then I think it becomes a little bit more difficult. And I still also think, though, there's a little something going on, in my opinion, colleagues between Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco. You you see what I'm saying? That whole idea that Matt Ryan is kind of doing this and Joe Flacco and these guys are supposed to be about equals and they're both supposed to be very big, tall, talented guys and they're both supposed to be athletic and so forth. And all of a sudden, Matt Ryan has had that breakout year that people have predicted. Joe Flacco has not had that breakout year that people have projected. And so when that happens, normally it has to fall on somebody. I mean, it's somebody's reason. And it appears maybe it's it's. The Atlanta system, which does not rely on the run at all, and I think it's going to catch up to them, but they're pretty freewheeling in how to throw on the ball on the receivers. And in the Baltimore system, which people say, hey, we need to give the ball to Rice more, not less. We need to get more of Rice and less of Flacco. So I think right now they're in a situation, the worst thing that's going on is they lost two games. There are always going to be complaints about how you do things, but just win the games. They didn't win the two games, and now they're back into the corner a little bit, even with a 9-4 and four record. 
Yeah, and it, it is unique that it happened this late on a winning team. I mean, we've seen coordinators get fired before. Juan Castillo gets fired not long ago by uh, uh, Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And a couple weeks ago in Tennessee, they let go of uh, Chris Palmer. Uh, but those are two teams that were struggling uh, and, and certainly out of the playoff picture. Baltimore, a little bit different, obviously, sitting here at the currently the number four seed in the AFC. But they've got a tough stretch coming up. I'll be interested to see how this transition goes. Because Jim Caldwell's an excellent coach, but Jim Caldwell's never called play. Right. And that's a, that's a different bird uh, than just stepping in. I know you've been around. You've been a quarterback coach. You've been a head coach. I understand that. But to have your first real play-calling experience happening well, on a 9-14 against the Denver Broncos, and by the way, that's Peyton Manning across the way. you got to keep up right. with going to be interesting yeah and also i'd say it's a new offense for jim caldwell too i mean jim caldwell you know ran the offense that we put together way back when and it's the one that tom moore uh has continued running at uh at uh indianapolis and when jim caldwell got to be a head coach that's the offense that they continued running jim caldwell worked for me way back in northwestern you know eons ago and i just i i just have to say that he has to become i mean they're not going to run his offense they're not running peyton manning's offense to run the offense that cam cameron put in and so that's also another issue on you know making that move at that time so it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out yeah and you know having been close to it the way i have been and knowing it uh, firsthand and i asked that question in the summer when they were running a lot of the no huddle and and said only half-jokingly, well, when, when you get a few three-and-outs, 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 and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed walk over to you, John Harbaugh, and start, you know, complaining about, well, are we going to see much more of this, or when are you going to actually, you know, they, we all kind of laughed it off, but I don't know that that's not, hasn't come to fruition, so to speak. Third and five at the 11. Kurt Cousins is the man now. Two wide receivers to the right. Ankerson to the left. Third and five Redskins. 36 seconds to play. Kirk takes the snap. Pumps. Flushed out to the right. Goes end zone. Man is there. Touchdown! Touchdown, Pierre Garçon! Let's talk about that game itself. Uh, Again, on the other side of it, huge win for Washington. Keeps them alive, obviously, in the playoffs. But RG3, and that was just an unbelievable. Not very few people have not seen the hit that he took by Haloti Nada that snapped that knee. Fortunately, we don't know fully yet the extent of it. It sounds like it is just a sprained knee. Uh, and if that's the case, they dodged a real bullet. Uh, but to have Kirk Cousins come in and kind of make a couple plays to, to kind of help win the game uh, was huge for Washington and keeps them squarely in the playoff line. Yeah, it does. And I, that's what you want. I mean, they drafted Kirk Cousins in the fourth round because they thought he could really help them. Uh, you want to have two good quarterbacks and you've got RG3 and, and Kirk comes in and does what a backup is supposed to do, which is, you know, without any coaching during the week and not much encouragement, stepped in and got the job done. Now it's going to be a little bit more difficult this week because now the backup is actually the starter. And, and so I think as they hit the field, you know, and, and play this week, you know, against a Cleveland team, at home, who's playing better? I think that's going to be a real challenge for Washington to go to Cleveland and 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 to be Cleveland. Now, in regards to RG three, I just think you know again when you're close to the sideline, good out of bounds. He stayed in bounds. I can see why he did, but he should have been looking to slide, not extending the yardage. And I, I think if if his knee is not worse than what it is, what they indicated to be, I think he is very fortunate. Because that was the replay on that hit saw a real snap to that leg, uh, hit full force, and uh, I, I just think that he cannot uh, he cannot take too many more hits like that. 
Yeah, when I first saw it, I thought, well, maybe it'd just be a, a hyperextension, the way it kicked up like that, which actually is better than, than obviously blowing out an ACL. Or, But we'll see. This guy's a pretty good athlete. He seemed to move around pretty well uh, after the game. Um, I don't know that they've ruled him out uh, for, for this week or not. Certainly that offense changes a good deal. They're primarily under Shanahan, of course, a stretch zone team. And then they've added this, this speed option package that uh, out, out of the uh, pistol that RG3 runs. They're not going to do that with Kirk Cousins, but it's not like they have to totally reinvent the offense. They'll simply rely more heavily on their zone stretch game and their passing, coordinated passing game down the field. Sure. The Eagles are two seconds away from jubilation or despair. Foles with Bryce Brown to his left. Foles in the shotgun. Is rolling, rolling, firing, touchdown! The Eagles win! Jeremy Macklin! The Eagles win! Falls to Jeremy Macklin! Well, let's uh, let's talk about, let's move on to the, to the next subject. There's so many things going on. The Philadelphia and Tampa Bay, you know, Tampa Bay, I've got their game this week at New Orleans. A little bit of surprise that they weren't able to hold on uh, a little bit better against Philadelphia. With Philadelphia, as we've been talking about, it's all about the progression of Nick Foles now, and he actually looked pretty good. Threw the ball up 51 times, which you only don't want to do with a rookie quarterback, but he played pretty well. Yeah, he really did, and and I, I think that that uh, you know that Tampa Bay, just a result of having two tough games against Atlanta and Denver, took a little bit out of them. They were not able to come back as as well as they could, and so with with Callum, I think also was a willingness to that looked like a typical Andy Reid offense. Uh, you know, I mean, the, you know, they threw the ball over forty times, which is probably more than he wanted to, but he had a couple touchdown passes. And I, I just think that, uh, you know, Philly was going to win some games. I, mean, I think they had lost, what, eight or nine in a row. They were bound to maybe won that many, but they lost a lot of games in a row. They were bound to get themselves a win. And fortunately for them, it came uh, at Tampa. And unfortunately for Tampa, it came at home because now they've got to go on the road. Now, Tampa had been in the thick of the playoff hunt, but they've got to go, you know, on the road. And uh, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, they're, they're, if they can win at New Orleans, they got St. Louis and then at home against Atlanta and probably an Atlanta team, probably, maybe a team that doesn't have to play at starters that last game. But uh, to just get to 9-7 and seven again, which we say in the NFC, other than to win the NFC East, which could certainly happen at 9-7, and seven, uh, I got a tough time thinking that a 9-7 and seven team can get into the wild card on its own merit. Right, right. Um, you know, and the other thing is obviously for Philadelphia – uh, they're getting the answers they needed for Nick Foles, at least it appears to be, uh, with the way he's playing. There's, he is showing those signs. You think there's any chance that if now, as they're going forward, they got Cincinnati, Washington, New York, obviously they're going to be able to impact this NFC East. But if they can get on enough of a roll, and it does look like Foles could be that guy going forward, could, can Andy save his job? Well, I think he could because I, I, I also think it could be the same with North Turner. It's amazing with one, with one win does. You can lose five games in a row, six games in a row, and you get one win, and by nature we are all optimists. And I think that's what's going on in San Diego. They got a win after losing about four or five in a row, and all of a sudden now you you got a chance to be at least eight and eight. You won't be in the playoffs at, at the Chargers. I think Philadelphia is the exact same way. I mean, now if they can take that one win and part laid into a win at home against Cincinnati. You know what I mean? Because as bad as they've been all over Andy, 
they're going to cheer that team when they come to play because they won. They got home. If they come out and they move, move the ball and do well against Cincinnati, they're going to be cheering for them. Then they've got the old rival against Washington, who I, I don't think are – I mean, they may say a lot about what he might happen. I don't think a spring needs coming back in, in two weeks or three weeks. And so I think they got a chance to be Washington. And then they, they got to go at the, at the New York Giants. And so I would say, you know, who do you want to replace Andy Reid with? I mean – Andy's had an incredibly bad bad year. So many horrible things have happened to the guy, but he has not wanted to quit on the team. He has not wanted the coach or the owner to dismiss him. He wants to finish it out. The players love him. You're going to replace him with who? I mean, is it is his run over? Maybe, but if he finishes strong and wins three in a row, to answer your question, he very well might survive this. And guys who have survived that, Tom Coughlin, you know, guys like that, uh, Jeff Fisher back back in like 2003 or something, uh, you know, that survived that almost being run out of town and have normally gone on and done well. Yeah, Bill Cowher out of the playoffs in years 7, 8, and 9 in, in Pittsburgh, and they hung with him and he bounced back out of it. So, yeah, I think the key, Mike Penn, is obviously that, that Folds looks like he could be that guy going forward and uh, Andy could ride that combination going forward and give management – uh, something to hang their hat on that says, yeah, we're going to tough this out because we think we do have our quarterback. You were able to get him to play. You were part of bringing him here, and it could make a difference. First and goal at the three. Here's Leon Washington going left side, and he's going to go in untouched. Touchdown, Seahawks! Why not? That's right. 57 nothing now with 2.32 to play in the game with the extra point coming, and that just set a Seahawks record. The most points ever scored in a Seahawks game. Let's go to another really difficult situation that hasn't been able to turn around. The Arizona Cardinals and everything you're hearing coming out of there, they've ninth, dropped their ninth straight game, lost 58 to nothing. Now, it's hard to lose 58 to nothing in this league. I mean, the, the things, the, the, particularly a team that they opened the season with a win against in Seattle. Right. At Seattle now I have to go up to Seattle, and that was as bad a game as, I, as I've seen. Uh, the way they've lost it, Ken Wisenhunt looks and feels like a defeated man. Uh, th- this is a tough situation because at least in Philly, you can uh, kind of hang your hat on, look, we got a guy here in Foles we can build towards. We can maybe do some things that will affect 2013. In Arizona, it's like there's not a guy on campus that can help us. We're in deep trouble. We don't even know what we're going to do the last three games. Well, you know, I think what's tough, you know, they were one of the few teams that had that real late buy. So they only had a buy a few weeks ago, and you would think that they maybe could have right the ship at that time. At that point, they came out and lost to St. Louis, came out and had a very close game and had a chance to legitimately beat the Jets. And then Seattle, you know, now Seattle will jump on you now <laughs> up there. I mean, they're ridiculous. They play extremely well at home. They don't give you any breathing room. And I think it was just, just a horrible game. They've got the Arizona has Detroit next at home. Uh, you know, it's going to be a little bit of excitement up there. They have to come out and play that good game. Then they've got Chicago at home. And so I, I think that they can get out of this tailspin. I mean, when you lose nine in a row, you're going to win. You're eventually going to beat somebody. I don't think you're going to go and, and, and wind up losing 12 games in a row through the whole season. But I just think that, you know, they're putting way too much pressure uh, too much pressure on this fact that they don't have the quarterback going well. Uh you know, too much pressure on, uh, you know, uh, you know, coming out of that, that game against the Jets, which they could have won, you would think that they played horrible, and they obviously did not. And so I, I just think that, you know, uh, it's 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 tough. They got players are making comments. 
players' dads are making comments. People are tweeting, you know, and this is a team that was uh, that was in the Super Bowl only four years ago. Yeah, and the, and the lack of, of that that one thing you can hang your hat on, that little bit of hope, let's finish strong uh, going into the offseason. Um, I just don't see that for Arizona. And so both the players, the community, the media, everything about it is just – Unfortunately for Arizona, this is an organization that's been in the playoffs three times in the last 30 years. I mean, obviously, the history uh, that they have to dwell on, it kind of comes where, what on of their history can they draw back on and say, well, no, no, we came out of this before, or we're okay, or, or uh, you know, they don't have no reference point for it not being bad. And right. so it's a bad situation in Arizona, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens after the season, if indeed they're going to give Ken Witten a chance to kind of regroup it. He and Rod Graves, someone you're very familiar with, an opportunity right. to try to, to regroup this together. Well, they're, the they're side, still – well, I just finished with they're, – they're still riding that Super Bowl credit. There's, there's, a little, there's a little change in the cash register from the Super Bowl. That was only three years ago, so four years ago, I guess. Yeah, but I had, I had to look down at my hand and look at that <laughs> when they ran me out of my building. So I don't, I don't know how far that cash goes, so I hope so. Because uh, Ken Woodnut's a good man, and, and hopefully they'll give him another opportunity to continue that on. On the flip side, some people are making a point about Pete Carroll running up the score. Anytime it's 58 to nothing, heck, they scored almost as much defensively as they did offensively. Yeah, but you know what? I think at the end, that's when you really have to, you know, somehow find a way not to score, somehow find a way not to move the ball. I mean, you don't tell the guys not to do it, and, and I didn't see all the plays. I know there were some issues on, you know, because Matt Flynn got to play now. You know, uh, Russell Wilson didn't hardly play in the second half. I mean, so Matt Flynn came in and played, you know, most of the third quarter and all of the fourth quarter, and he had to get some action. He had to make some throws. I mean, he, you got to let the guy play a little bit. So I don't think it was intentional. It's just that they, once you get steamrolled like that, uh, you know, up in, up in Seattle, they can make it rough on you. Yeah. Uh, of course, we got to talk a little bit about play calling. We always do. This is the Coach's Show podcast. In the Tennessee-Indianapolis game, Mike Menchek is getting second-guessed a little bit about some of the play calling uh, in a sequence where Jake Locker went for it on a quarterback sneak where there was some confusion about what the down was, what they ended up doing, and ended up punting the ball back because of it to Indianapolis and giving them a chance actually to come back into the game. The communication, particularly in today's game, with the quarterback coach communicator, uh, with the young quarterback, um, I imagine they looked at it in hindsight and Coach Munchak realized, you know, we didn't handle that as well. We didn't help our quarterback because we kind of put him out there, and these were clearly some of the wrong decisions. Yeah, you know, and I always think that, you know, some of the players can help him out too. I mean, when, you know, he makes a call, whatever their call is, you know, Red Dog or whatever they want to call, which means get up the line, left the line, we're going to quarterback sneak. You do those things. If you got time running out, you get the quarterback sneak, you get up, you spike the ball, those type of things that you do. That that was a scenario where they didn't need to do it. They were doing no huddle. Even the center could have said, you know, we got the first down right. You know what I mean? Just kind of reach up and say because he's making a automatic call at the line that implies that they have to get a yard because you're not going to run a quarterback sneak on first down. And so now the other thing that they could have done is they could have called timeout because they had all three timeouts, you know, in the game too. And once they saw that, then you can hear them from the sideline, all that stuff. So there were a few things. Now what, what I've just heard from our worthy assistant, Claire, said that Tom Moore is there now too. Did you know Tom was there as a consultant? Yeah, the dreaded consultant. <laughs> well, you know, they let they let Chris Palmer go a few weeks ago, unfortunately, 
and he was replacing, and maybe that didn't go so well. So Tom Moore, who has been, you know, kind of a legendary uh, offensive coordinator, he was a receiver coach on our staff way back in the early 90s uh, at Minnesota, did a great job at Detroit, did a great job at uh, uh, Indianapolis coach, you know, kind of primarily guy for, for Peyton Manning. He's in there to help him now, but it, it doesn't matter who you bring in. If you don't communicate and if you don't, uh, if you put too much on a quarterback's plate that he can't do everything, you can help him from the sideline by timeout. You can help him from a sideline by giving him the signal to huddle. You know, in other words, if, if it's a situation where, hey, all right, then give him that. Give him the, and you also can help him through the communication headsets because it's early enough after the ball was spotted that you could communicate. So I'm not sure exactly what happened but it cost them a game that they had a chance to win. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head where it just there's a whole lot of new voices now. I mean, he doesn't have his coordinator he had before. He is just back in the lineup over the last couple of weeks, having been out because of injury. He's got a lot of different people talking to him, whether it's the, whoever's calling the plays, Tom Moore is the, uh, as the consultant, Coach Munchak, the center. You're right. That's a lot of voices coming to the young man still really probably learning what it is to play quarterback in the NFL. And then finally, up in Buffalo, Chan Gailey, again, is coming under a little bit of attack, and we've talked about this several times, Denny. Uh, guys that continue to call plays as the head coach and the coordinator that find themselves in a situation there was some second-guessing about deciding to go for it, uh, sending on a field goal team, then bring the field goal team off, then deciding to punt it. You know, when you're the head coach and the play caller, if you disagree, uh, with the two disagree, then people call that schizophrenic. Uh, at some point, you know, you need someone to help sort it out for you, right. and that's what's being questioned about right now. Well, it's, and, you know, it's all about communication and, and looking at the circumstances. There are circumstances and there are situations that are going to occur, and you try to be ahead and have a plan for each one. I mean, you don't plan you, – you want to plan it out, but most of them take place during the course of the ball game. If this happens, we do this. If that happens, we do that. And this was a case especially when you're when you're down by four or five, you know what I mean, then that means a field goal will help you because another field goal will win the ball game for you. It's not like if you're down by seven. And so they were done they were down by five and we you know we're saying are we in field goal range not but also it didn't help that they had bobbled a field goal before earlier uh, a snap. So I think there were a lot of things going on and, and most of it I think that can be helped if indeed, whether it would be Shan, you know, giving up the play calling and just being the head coach and trying to rally his team. I mean, as I mentioned, Can Cameron called his all the way from up all the way down, and, and it didn't make a difference way back in Miami when they were 1-15. to And Shan Gilly, I think maybe the same way. You know, he's saying, hey, I've always called plays. That's what I do. Well, I can appreciate that, but if you have a chance to, to save your team, you're sitting here at Buffalo, and what you've got is you've got Seattle at home, who we all know Seattle is incredible at home, but not as good on the road, which means that Buffalo's got a chance against Seattle. They've got at Miami, who made a run but has not had as big a run right now, and then home against the New York Jets, who the Jets, I already said, I think have a chance for 9-7. and seven. Well, you know what? I mean, they, they Buffalo's got a chance with all three of those teams, and I just wonder if maybe now's not the time to make a little adjustment and have Chan be in a position where, hey, I'm going to help the whole team more, offense, defense, and special teams, have somebody else specifically the offense and find a win these Buffalo-type games, winner games, where the weather is different and offense is not as crucial as and scoring a lot of points because you're not going to get a lot of points when you're playing the Jets or you're playing the Buffalo because of weather, weather in December. 
Well, we both know Chan Gailey's not going to give that up, Danny. It's a big part of his persona. It's what he was brought in here to do when he was hired. You know, and I understand this is what I've always done, and, and, but it didn't exactly work in Dallas. It didn't exactly work at Georgia Tech. So at some point, you've got to reevaluate the way you're doing things. But uh, obviously, he's committed to what he's doing. And it's going to be tested in these last couple games. Well, the Jets are, you know, it is because I think when it gets down that last game, a division game, I'm, I just look and I see the Jets, and I'm saying the Jets have a chance to be nine and seven. And you said it's, it's not good for the league. Well, I think they're going to get there because I think they'll probably beat Buffalo in that last game. God bless America. Only in America, teams <laughs> like the Jets the way they're playing find their way into the playoff. That's great. Well, that's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to check the Coaches Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody.